For a moment this morning at about 5 a.m., I thought I should suspend what I was going to preach on and preach about Noah and the flood based on what we're experiencing out there. But we press on with our current message series, It's All Good, our study in the book of Philippians. Good morning. I hope you're doing well. I saw a lot of smiling faces when you came in this morning, and um, wow, yeah, thank you for being here just in the first place, and uh, I'm just so proud that you're here and excited that you're here on this uh, stormy, rainy uh, Sunday morning. As we uh, kind of turn the corner, well, today we do, we bring it to completion, this series that we uh, are, have been in uh, all this past month. It's all good. And oddly enough, ironically enough, uh, today we're going to be talking about a word that we are all familiar with. It is a word called stress. All right. I heard some groanings. That's awesome. So how many of you experienced a little stress this morning on the way to church? Don't lie. You're in church. I'm just kidding. Awesome. Very good. You very honest people this morning. Stress is one of those things that we all want to avoid but none of us do, right? I mean, if you're living and breathing, you have stress, right? I mean, it just is a part of, of life, and it's a part of reality. Um, I, I once heard it said that reality is the leading cause of stress among those who are in touch with it. You'll think about that later, I promise you. Okay, and in many cases, um, our stress uh, doesn't necessarily come, come from outside factors. It often comes from outside people, doesn't it? It often comes from outside people. I read this statement uh, some time ago when one author summarized stress when it comes from people this way. I love this. He says, stress is the confusion created when one's mind overrides the basic desire to choke the living daylights out of someone who desperately needs it. Don't you love that? Isn't that awesome? That'll be on our blog this week. I'm just kidding. It probably won't. And then I heard this story and I think that some of you who are in situations where whether it's at work or maybe some of you are at school or, or um, some of you at home and you feel like you're the only one who ever does anything, you know, around the house or around the office or, you know, in your workplace or whatever the case may be. Um, I heard the story and this will apply to you uh, who have stress because nobody around you does anything. It's the story about four people. Everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. And there was an important job to be done. And everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. And everybody thought that anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. And it ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did anybody did what anybody could have done. Some of you feel like that at the end of the day? Like, come on, someone help me in this area. And sometimes stress is forced upon us because we feel like we're the only people that do anything about a particular problem or a particular situation. And you know, we're all susceptible to this thing called stress. And I got thinking about this uh, over these past few weeks as we were leading up to Philippians chapter 4. Um, we, we live our lives um, either, either in the middle of some kind of stressful situation we're trying to get out of a stressful situation, uh, or we're entering a stressful situation. Stress and pressure is a part of life. It's not a part of just your life. 
I'm not speaking of one person. I mean, it's not a part of just your life. Like when we have stress, when we have that kind of pressure that overwhelms us, I don't know about you, but I feel like sometimes, that is the way I feel, maybe you guys are much more healthy than I am, but I feel like, man, I'm the only one that has this kind of stress in my life. And the facts are, is that we all experience stress because we all have a breath to breathe and we all are living the last chapter of Philippians, I absolutely love, which we'll focus on this morning, is a passage that is better than any self-help guide or Oprah Book of the Month Club or, or you know, seminar that you'll pay thousands of dollars to go to that will help you deal with this idea of stress. And so this morning, what we're going to be taking a look at is we continue this theme about finding joy and how we can find joy in situations that the world would say there's no way you can find joy in. Today, we're going to focus on what it means to delight in stress. Delight is the word we're using. I, I, I didn't like the whole idea of um, th this idea of finding contentment because to me, contentment, even though Paul mentions that word in, in a, the original language once or twice in the book, contentment feels like a resignation to me. And I think the overarching theme of, of Paul's book here, or his letter that he's written um, here in Philippians, is this idea that um, it, it's not just contentment in any situation, but it's delight. It's, it's finding extreme joy in whatever circumstance you find yourself in. And so today we come to the conclusion we're going to take a look at all of chapter 4 of this letter, this book of Philippians. And I realize today, and as we dive in, and even as I'm talking this morning, some of you are like, there's no way. There's no way. Joy? Joy? Delight? In stress? It's not possible. It's an oxymoron. It's, it's like, you know, jumbo shrimp, right? Like, you know, it's like you can't have those two together, a lead balloon or, you know, we, we sometimes focus on the fact that we can have success and we can have this idea of, of delighting in, in our stress. It just doesn't make any sense. It makes absolutely no sense to us. And that's the whole point is that what Paul does in this book, what God did through the Apostle Paul is he took the whole idea of our version, you know, the world's version of happiness, and, and he turned it upside down. He, he, he takes what we think will make us happy, and, and Paul turns that upside down. It's counterintuitive. It's the opposite of what we think. But really, a lot of the things that we've talked about over these last few weeks are, are kind of things that don't make sense, right? They're oxymorons. They're something that really shouldn't go together. But Paul says it does. Like the first week we talked about sacrifice. How in the world can you have joy in sacrifice? Well, you can. If you seek God out. If you pursue delight. If you pursue joy in the Lord. In week two we talked about selflessness. How in the world can you delight when you have to be selfless with other people? Well, God says that you can. Last week we talked about a little bit of a deviation from that. But we talked about what it means to have joy or delight in our success but not our success here on earth and not the things that we're proud of, but the things that God is doing through us. 
And one of the premises that we've had all throughout this series, and if you haven't been with us, I want to encourage you to go online. You can listen to the last three weeks, is this idea that our, our whole world tells us that we ought to pursue what makes us happy. And the word in the original language for happy comes from hap, which means random and fleeting, like haphazard. That's where we get haphazard from. Amazing that happy and haphazard come from the same root word in the original language. That's amazing. And so what Paul is suggesting here is that we can have joy. We can find delight in any circumstance that we're faced with. But there's a secret to that success. There's a secret to that success. And that secret really lies in the fact that we cannot do this on your own. I can promise you today that if you walk out of here and go, all right, it's Thanksgiving. I have 60 family coming over to my house on Thursday, and I'm going to delight, I'm going to have joy in stress because I'm going to do it. I promise you, if you leave here today with that message, you will fail. And you'll probably cause a lot of people around you to fail, by the way, on Thursday when 60 people show up at your home. You see, if we try to find delight in these circumstances, in these situations, with these people, uh, with this particular thing that happened to me, if we try to do this on our own, it will end up in utter and complete failure. But God says, and Paul says, that there is absolutely a different way to find delight. Today is going to be about finding delight and stress. Take a look at your, in your Bibles, if you have them, to the fourth chapter of the book of Philippians. It's the last chapter in this book, and uh, we're going to be diving into Philippians 4. If you don't have your Bibles, the, the verses will be up on the screens, and I'll be reading from uh, the version that we use uh, here, and that is the English Standard Version here at Hilton Head Island Community Church. Now, let me just give you a real quick background. The Apostle Paul is writing a thank you note to a church that had delivered him some money. They had sent a, a man to Paul. Uh, Paul was currently in a Roman prison. Um, he had been beaten and he had been put in prison because he was uh, uh, preaching the gospel. And the Romans arrested him because uh, of what had happened back in the Jewish world. And they put him in prison, and he, he had been preaching the gospel. And while he's in prison, he is rejoicing and singing praises. And while that's going on, he's watching Roman soldier after Roman soldier after Roman soldier give their life to Christ. And he's watching the people who are in prison, who are fellow uh, uh, workers and fellow laborers with him, people who are with him preaching the gospel, he's watching them stand strong and continue to, to preach this good news message of Jesus Christ, regardless of what they may face as a result. And so Paul is writing this long thank you letter back to this church that's located in Philippi, which is a place in Macedonia uh, in modern-day Greece. And he writes to them, and it's an encouraging letter. It's a letter, really, of, of affection for this group of people uh, called the Christ followers in Philippi. And he writes to them, and he is telling them how much he appreciates them. And he gives them a bit of a challenge and a bit of a warning because he knows what's going on in the first century culture is going to cause them to waver in their faith. And so he doesn't have much to discipline them about, as he does in some of his other letters that he writes, for instance, to the church um, in Corinth. And, and he, this is largely an encouraging letter. But 
he begins with a bit of a challenge. Take a look at verses 1 through 5. We'll focus on those five verses to begin. He begins this way. He says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, he says, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. That, that word there in the Greek, um, literally it's pronounced this way, stako. Okay, you already know from a few weeks ago, I love steak. I love that word. Isn't that great? Stako. Stand firm. I mean, that's like a guy's word, isn't it? Sorry, ladies. Like stako, stand firm in God. He is telling the church there in Philippi to stand strong in the Lord. Stand strong. Stako, stand your ground. It also means to not waver. And so he's telling the church right out of the bats, therefore, my brothers, and he might have even added sisters in, in our, our day and age, whom I love, he has a great affection, and he longs to see them again. He says, my joy and my crown, the precious jewel of my life is this church. He says, stand firm, hold your ground, don't waver in the Lord. He says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Synthache to agree in the Lord. He, he, he recognizes that he has heard through, the, through some kind of information that there's a disagreement. There's the beginnings of discord among two ladies who are in this church there in Philippi. And he addresses them. And he says, I need you to agree. And, and then he moves on. Which is interesting because most of Paul's letters, when there's a disagreement or where there's disunity, he goes into this long uh, explanation of what they need to do. So I think that we can take from this that this was a minor dispute. It wasn't a big deal. But he's warning this church, don't let this situation get out of control. The word that he uses there, I entreat Euodia and I treat Synthachi, which by the way, if you're a Greek scholar in here, save the email. I know I'm pronouncing these wrong. I can't pronounce them in the original Greek, okay? So I'm sorry. So save your email, okay? He says to them, agree in the Lord. Now this is interesting because he's used this same exact word several times throughout this book. And the word agree literally means, uh, uh, and as he's used it several times, to turn your heads or turn your minds in the same direction. So that's what he's telling them. Turn your minds in the same direction. And because he doesn't belabor the point here, I think we can assume that this wasn't a major disagreement, but he is almost preemptively striking and saying, I don't want this to get out of control. Listen, I want you to hear this today. Our ability to experience delight in any situation has so much to do with how much we are unified with other believers. I mean, we can have disagreements. That's not what I'm saying. We can even have conflict. If you know me, I don't like conflict, okay? But we can have conflict. We can have disagreement. What Paul is saying here is don't let that discord drive a wedge between you and the other person, therefore driving a wedge between either you and that other person or you and that other person and Christ. He wants them to bring closure to this situation and turn their heads, turn their minds in the same direction. It is so important for us to experience joy, for us to first find places that we maybe have discord with other believers and to bring that to a resolution. Let's keep moving here. Verses 3, 4, and 5. He says, yes, I ask you, true companion, help these women 
who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Most scholars, um, we, we really don't know who he was talking about here. Uh, it's possible it's, it's Timothy. Uh, I, I tend to think it was maybe one of the key leaders in the church there in Philippi. Um, and it may be the type of thing, he only visited Philippi two times um, in his journeys there. And it may be that it was kind of like one of these things where like he, he remembers a, a person who was a key leader, but he can't really remember their name because he's aging. I know I'm going through this right now. And you know how you like, you see someone and you can't remember their name and you're like, hey, you, how you doing? It could be that it's that kind of thing. That he just, he's not really sure who this, the name of this person, but he knows there was a leader there. It really doesn't matter. I've just spent like 30 seconds on that and it doesn't matter. But he's saying, I ask you, true companion, uh, to help these women who have labored by my side with me in the gospel together. And, and he talks about the other believers. Verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Again, that word rejoice is the same thing as joy. So he's saying, have joy in God. Don't have discord, have joy in Christ. Have unity with Christ, have unity with each other. Let your reasonableness, don't you love that word? I love that word. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. That word reasonableness, listen, listen to this, this definition in the original language. I love this, it's great. It, it means grace, kindness, courtesy, and tolerance. It, it, that's literally what it means. We don't like those words sometimes, don't we? Like when we have issue with other people, we, we don't like to be gracious and kind and merciful and tolerant with what's going on in that situation. But Paul says, operate within the body of Christ with grace and mercy and kindness and tolerance. And I realize the world has taken that word tolerance and completely, completely misused that word. But Paul is saying that we as Christ followers to have unity need to have those things. And so my first point this morning is that we can find delight and stress when first and foremost we're anchored in Christ, unified with other Christ followers, and freely give mercy and grace. We, we, can, we can find joy in our stress when first and foremost we're anchored in Christ. Stako, stand strong, don't waver, stand firm. When, when we're unified with other Christ followers and when we freely give mercy and grace. Now, I realize he hasn't even gotten to the issue yet, has he? We'll get to that in a moment. He hasn't even gotten to the stress yet. He hasn't even gotten to what he's talking about because each chapter kind of has a theme. We've kind of labeled them, uh, you know, sacrifice, selflessness, success, and stress because pastors like you know, alliteration and we like to use the same words that have the same first letter because it just makes sense to us. And so that's what we've done here. But in this situation, he hasn't gotten there. But I want you to hear this. This is so important because he's about ready to get to it. What he's saying in these first five verses, and I want you to miss this, is that if you want to have delight. If you want to have joy in this situation, these things need to be foundationally set in your life. Anchored in Christ, unified with other believers, and freely extending grace and mercy. And it's almost like up to this point is a preamble to what he's going to get to. And he's almost saying if you don't have these things in your life already set, it is going to be extremely difficult 
to find joy in the situation that I'm about ready to talk about. It's going to be very difficult for you to take one step and put one foot in front of the other and find joy in your stress if you are wavering in terms of your faith walk, if you have serious discord with other believers, and if you are harsh and judgmental. That's what he's saying. That's foundational. It's kind of like the warm-up before the golf swing. It's kind of like some of you who are runners, you, you run a marathon, you wouldn't think about running 26 miles. I wouldn't ever think about running 26 miles at once. But anyway, you know, you, you run 26 miles, you wouldn't even think about doing that unless you warmed up first, right? You got to stretch out. You got to be prepared. These are foundational things. You wouldn't build a house on the ground, especially in Hilton Head. It would sink in a heartbeat with this rain. You, you would build a foundation that's firm and solid. These are foundational to the next thing that he talks about. Let's talk about those next things. Before we do, I want to ask you the questions. Are you anchored in Christ? Are you anchored in Christ or do you waver at every turn? Are you anchored in him? Do you operate with unity towards others? Or do you have unresolved issues with someone who's another Christ follower? Are you the type of person who's liberal in extending grace and mercy, or are you harsh and judgmental? The resolution to those things, I believe, will set the stage for you experiencing delight and stress. Verses 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything. Some of you are anxious right now because you're like, he's got a long way to go to get to verse 23, and he's only on verse 6, and the time is ticking. Okay, I, I promise I'll get there because we're going to fast forward the last few verses. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, we'll talk about what that word means in a moment, with thanksgiving let your request be made known to god and the peace of god which passes all understanding will guard your heart and your minds in christ jesus he's saying if you do these things you will have a guard towards those things that will help take away that joy and threaten that joy in your life and he mentions a few things first of all right out of the gates he mentions prayer and supplication prayer and supplication. What are you saying here? Is he saying you have needs? You are going to have anxiety. There are going to be things in life that will bring you stress. Even for those of you who are stoic and you're like I never have stress. I never experience stress. You will have stress. And he says you've got to acknowledge it and you have to take it to God first. Listen, we take our stress to so many things, don't we? I mean, let's just be honest for a moment. We take our stress to a lot of things, but our tendency as people is to take our stress to whatever will alleviate that stress instantly, like alcohol and like drug use and like fantasy things that take us away from the situation that we're in. And the problem with all of those things, and I just lightly mentioned three, but the problem with all of those things is that when we arise from those things, when we come out of those things that take that stress away nearly instantaneously, you know what is still left? The stress. And in many cases, it's much worse. What Paul is saying here is don't miss taking this 
to God first. And anxious in the original language means undue meditation on something. Undue meditation on something. It, you, that, that's the kind of thing where you're waking up in the middle of the night thinking about a problem or a situation or a person or a thing. When, you, when you're at work and the whole time you're at work, all you want to be is home. And when you're at home, all you want to be is where? A at work. Like you, you've got this like split mind where, where things are just all you can think about is that stressful thing in your life. That's what he's talking about. And what he says is that first and foremost, we should take that to him. It is so important. He wants to hear our prayers. Supplication, that word, you know what it means? It means beg. Now, I don't like it when my kids beg. In fact, there are rules in our house for begging. I hope there are in yours. We'll be doing a family series uh, later uh, this winter, and uh, we'll talk about begging. But I got to tell you, you know what Paul's saying here? Is God our Father? He wants us to beg. He wants us to come to him and ask for his help through this situation. Every Tuesday night right here, we're, we're not doing it this week because of Thanksgiving, but every Tuesday night at 6.30, we've opened the doors here and we have a time where we come down here in the cross and we have some people gather and we pray. And, and, and we do this. We, we, we give God thanks, but we also focus on the things that he has laid that are burdens or stress or those things that we wake up in the middle of the night thinking about. God wants you to do that. I want to encourage you to be here and do it with other people. On Tuesday nights, our, first, our next one will be the 2nd, December the 2nd, 6.30, right here. He talks about prayer, he talks about seeking God, and he talks about thankfulness. We're going to get to the thankfulness at the end. Point number two, we can find delight in stress. When we make prayer a priority, earnestly seeking God for help, and remember to be thankful. We can find joy and delight uh, in, in stressful situations, when we earnestly, when, when we seriously make prayer a priority and earnestly seek God and, and remember the things that we're thankful for. Prayer is real. I, I want to tell you, um, I, I've had a rough 2014. And without the help of God, I'm not sure where I would be. He has seen me through some situations that were dark in my life over the past year. And he's seen my family through situations over and over again. Cynthia and I are celebrating 20 years of being married in June. And he has seen us through some tough situations. He can do the same for you. But seek him out first. Let's keep reading. Verses 8 and 9, Paul goes even deeper. He doesn't go, hey, seek God out and good luck with all that. <laughs> it's not like, you know, hey, have fun with that. You know, I'm done here. Uh, I'm, I'm, I've preached enough. I've written enough. It's a long enough thank you letter. I've already thanked you. He goes further. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. And then he says, whatever you've learned or uh, received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the grace and the God of peace will be with you. It's the second time he's mentioned peace, by the way. But listen, what Paul is saying here is, is that 
our minds have so much, please don't miss this, our minds and what we dwell on has so much to say about our level of being able to find delight when stress comes up. It's everything. It is everything. And so point number three, we find delight in stress when we dwell on thoughts that are healthy for our minds. See, when we're in the midst of the stressful situation, our human natural tendency, just because of sin, because we all are sinners, Romans 8 says, talks about that, because of that, our natural tendency is not to think about those things. Like, I, I, don't, I don't get stressed out and go, I'm going to think about what's true right now and what's honorable and praiseworthy. That doesn't naturally happen. What Paul is saying here is, is that we ought to be thinking about these things all the time so that when stress comes up, our first thing is to go to those things. Are you with me this morning? To go to those things. He talks about truth. That's authenticity. It's the opposite of fantasy, by the way. It literally, in the, in the original language, honorable means sacred, just means fair or equitable, pure means innocent. By the way, let me go up to that just thing. That's the kind of thing, like, when we get stressed out, we go, oh, man, nobody knows what I'm going through here. You know, it just really stinks. I'm the only one that's feeling this way. No, no, no. And we all have this. We're all faced with it. That's just. L lovely means pleasing or agreeable. Commendable means praiseworthy. He mentions that twice. Excellent means morally pure. And then worthy of praise is something to be recognized. It is something to be recognized. You see, Paul does something here that we talk about a lot here at Hilton Head Island Community Church. And that is this. If you're, if you're in, a, in an area that's like a habit in your life that's not good for your, your journey with God, if you're in an area of sin or a lifestyle, um, it, it's easy to say, I just need to get rid of that. But the problem is, is that if you don't replace that habit or lifestyle or sin or whatever you're dealing with with something that is God-focused, the, the likelihood is you're going to go right back to that. Paul recognizes that, and he says, replace those negative thoughts that leads to depression and is a threat to joy in a stressful situation, replace it with these thoughts. But we get weak, don't we? We get weak. We may think those thoughts, but then we get weak. Let's take a look at 10 through 23, and then I'll, I'll come back and we'll, we'll draw it to a close. He, he says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Verse 12, he says this, I, I know how to be brought low. L listen to this. Please don't miss this. This is awesome. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low, uh, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, let me tell you something. When Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, who was inspired by the Spirit of God to pen these words, and he says that he's got the secret, I, I want to know what the secret is. Don't you? I want to know what he's about ready to say about this. He says this in verse 13. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through him that gives me strength. The problem is that we stop at the first five words, don't we? I can do all things. That's what the world tells us, right? I can do all things. 
That's what those books tell us. I can do all things. That's what the, the, the seminars tell us. That's what TV tells us. I can do all things. And some of you are here today, and the stressful, pressure-filled situation that has caused you to go into despair and depression, you've been trying to do it with the first five words of that verse. I can do all things. Well, stop doing all things and continue the verse. I can do all things, say it with me, through him who strengthens me. We cannot do this on our own when we stop at the fifth word. It is through him who strengthens me. Verse 14, I love this. Now remember, he's writing a thank you letter. He's received this, a bunch of money from the Philippian church. And in verse 14, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then he says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Now, I really can't figure out if he's being a little sarcastic here with the church. Like, I mean, go with me, those of you who are sarcastic. Like, like he is so strong in the Lord that he's like, thanks for sending me the money, but God could have provided. Or if he's really being sincere about it, I think it may be a little bit of both. All right. Verse 15, look at this. And you Philippians, this is where he gets really sincere. And you Philippians yourself, you knew that even in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except only you, you only. Even in Thessalonica, you, you sent me help for my needs once again. We see this connection in these last few verses of chapter 4 of Philippians between Paul and this, and this, this church. Verse 17, that not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I, I, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus. That's the guy who brought the gift from the Philippian church to Paul in Rome. And, and he got sick there and he sent him back with this letter. Uh, the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And then he gives them a reminder that maybe they needed to hear. Like they may have collected so much money for Paul that now he's concerned that they may be in need. And they needed to hear this, verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Like he's reminding them, hey, church, he's got this. He's got this. And then he says in verse 20 through 23, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. He's talking about now the gospel being spread into the Roman world. I love it. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And then he ends. And that's it. And the last point is, is that we can find delight and stress when we believe that God will fill the weaknesses in our life with his strength. That word that he uses in verse 13, that word uh, strength and, and the word, the whole idea of God supplying, that word supply in verse 19, that word supply literally means to fill up. He's saying that God will fill up all of your needs. If you're here today and you're stressed because of money, God will fill it up. God will fill it up. He may not do it on your timetable. He may not do it in your way, but God will fill it up. If you're here today and you're stressed because of a relationship, God will fill it up. If you're here today and you're, uh, you're worried about a job situation, God will fill it up. Our job, your job, is to find out where your source of strength comes from. Because if it doesn't come from the Lord, there's no chance that he will fill it up. Because you're relying 
on yourself. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so we can find delight in stress when we believe that God will fill the weakness in our life with his strength. I don't know about you. I love this book, don't you? I mean, this is the recipe for us finding joy. And just to give you a lasting kind of uh, uh, way of getting out of it when, when uh, someone or something threatens you, stress in particular in this situation, four things. When, stre- when joy is threatened by stress, evaluate your thinking. Paul says so much about our thought and our mind. Where our mind is is, is, is where we're going to go when we have stressful situations come up. Evaluate your thinking. Rely on God for your strength. Develop a solution for your situation. You notice what he doesn't say? Hang on here just a second. I know I'm a little bit over time. Here's what he doesn't say. I love this. He doesn't say, hey, um, just don't do anything. He doesn't say, just trust God. Like that is such a Sunday school answer, isn't it? Just trust God. I mean, there's truth in that, but there's meat behind it. Like trust God through prayer and supplication. And believing that he will fill you up and he will give you strength. And having unity with other believers, there's so much there. It's not just a trite answer. The triteness comes in this last point because it's true. Leave the rest up to God. Leave the rest up to God. Evaluate your thinking. Rely on God for your strength and develop a solution to your situation. And then just leave the results to God. Leave the results to God. When I began planning for this message series, I didn't even come close to making the correlation that I would be teaching this particular passage on the Sunday before Thanksgiving. That was not planned, okay? I promise you. But I want to point out that in verse 6, he says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with what? Thanksgiving. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. When I go to a place, when I get overwhelmed by a stressful situation, one of the only things that I can do is think about what God has done that's good for me, and that helps me get out of that situation. What are the things that I need to be thankful for? And that gets my focus back on Him. This Thanksgiving, I want to encourage you to think about what you are truly thankful for. Check this out.
want to give you a moment this morning to maybe focus your attention and your heart on what you're thankful for. You may have a lot of reason to be stressed, to be overwhelmed, but I want to encourage you and challenge you right now to focus on those things that God has given you and blessed you with. So I just want to give you a moment this morning to focus on those things. this morning we just thank you so much for the encouragement that we can have in knowing that you want us to delight in our stressful situation God that you want us to to have joy in that and God may we seek you out for that God may we have the courage and the ability to run after you God, and to beg you to help us in the situation that we find ourselves in that keeps us awake at night, that gives us stress. God, I pray that you would help us to not turn to the other things. God, that we wouldn't turn to those things that only provide temporary relief. But God, may we strive after you, the one that can give us true and lasting joy. And if you're here today and you'd say, Todd, I need, as we've done these past few weeks, I need prayer in this area. I've got a situation that I absolutely need some help in. And I need to find the strength of Christ through. If you're here today and you'd say, yeah, I've got a situation that is causing me great anxiety. And I'd just like you to pray for me, Todd, with every head bowed and every eye closed in the quietness of this room. Just raise your hand up this morning. Just raise your hand up so I can pray for you. I'm not going to point you out or anything. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else this morning? God, I just pray for those who are here today. They're acknowledging with their raised hand. God, that they need help through this. And I pray in the strong name of Jesus. God, that you would help them to realize that the verse doesn't stop with the fifth word. It's I can do all things through you, through Christ who gives me strength. Help us to recognize that and help us to live it. If you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, you've never trusted him for your salvation. The story of the gospel that Paul talks about is the fact that um, without God's help, our sin um, is is not going to allow us to go to heaven. In fact, the Bible says that when we die, we, we would go to hell. So if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your personal savior, I want to invite you to do that right now because you can have that kind of delight. You can have that kind of joy, just like we talked about, just like Paul describes. If you're here today and you say, Todd, I want to put my faith in Jesus this morning, I'm just going to ask you to pray this simple prayer. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. And today, I confess my sins. And I accept you, Jesus, as my Savior. God, help me now to find joy in everything because of my relationship with you. If you're here today and you just prayed that prayer in your heart quietly, I'm going to 
ask you to raise your hand this morning again. Again, I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. If you prayed that prayer this morning, let's see. God, I thank you that you give us the strength to find joy and delight in every circumstance. God, may we truly pursue you and find our delight and our joy in you.